All right, let's stand again and let's get us a songbook. Let's turn to number 70. Number 70, Unclouded Day. Let's sing it again this morning. Number 70. Oh, they tell me all the whole Oh, they tell me all the Keep praying. 
at that situation. You, when did you say it was, sister? That's it's it's to two weeks. It's March March second. That's right. I'm trying to keep that in mind today. March second. Be praying for Miss Nail. He's going in to have hip surgery. Uh, anybody else? And how is Benjamin? Praise God. Praise God. Thank God for answering prayers. All right. Yeah, sure will. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Others? Imagine so. Lift him up in prayer, and y'all pray for Scott too. Glad, sure, glad to see you here this morning. Glad you're feeling better. Y'all keep praying for Scott. He he keeps feeling good. It's sure good to have him here in service. But others this morning. <clears throat> well, I've got I've got I've got uh, two this morning. Um, Stephanie asked asked us to pray for her. She's got an opportunity to uh, advance in her job and move up in the company and it's between her and somebody else in the company so pray for her that she it's God's will she gets that job and be real beneficial to us and, and uh, so pray that it works out if it's God's will also I've got a I've got a friend and I'm not 100% sure exactly where he lives but he's a Facebook friend but his name is Joel Rafa and uh, he sent me video this morning of their church service over there and they're it's summertime in in, in India and where they where they meet their property, it's just basically a concrete slab with some concrete columns sticking up. They want to finish the building, but they don't have the funds. And he asked us to pray for him. There, uh, he had shown me a video this morning, and they were they were singing. There was a bunch of uh, Indian women in their gardens that they were all sitting around on the floor on concrete. And uh, he, I said, "Where are all the men?" He said, well, "They're all in agricultural fields. Everybody here's poor, and they have to work all the time." And, and uh, but anyway, they're trying to minister. He said, "Please pray for us." So I want our church to be lifting them up in prayer because we I send him our service, so he'll know we're praying for him. So how many of y'all agree to pray for him? Well, they can't see your hands. Amen. How about that? Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let's pray this morning. God meets with us. Pray that God does His His will and His and His work in everybody's life and everybody's heart. We pray He meets every need. All right. Well, I tell you one more thing before we do that. One more thing. You're going to kill me for doing this, but happy birthday, sister. <laughs> We're going to sing happy birthday to Erica this morning. God help me. Amen. Y'all be seated. 
333. He's the lily of the valley. 
Let's turn over one more time, 413, 413. Love lifted me. I was
cemetery somewhere uh because I, I don't believe i don't believe i'd have made it i probably wouldn't have made it past my 17th birthday if it hadn't been for jesus and what all he's done in my life amen i'm sure thankful that i'm saved i don't know about you and i don't know if you're excited about your salvation but let me just say to you this morning if you can't get excited about your own salvation which you get excited about mine because i sure am amen i'm sure thankful that i'm saved praise god and i want to get excited with you about yours Take your Bible this morning. Turn with me to the third chapter of Second Thessalonians. We're going to finish up this epistle this morning, and then we'll move on from there. But uh, I want us to be sure and uh, squeeze all the drops of every good bit of goodness out of the last of this chapter, and and get all we can out of it. I believe God would have us to get all we can, and uh, we're going to. I want to invite in everybody that's tuned in to, to watch us online and ask God to bless them. As you've joined here with Temple Baptist Church in Clarksville, Texas, and we're glad to have you here. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. We're glad you've joined us. And we've been getting a lot of viewers uh, of our services, and we rejoice in that. We rejoice in every person that gets blessed out of hearing the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. Uh, we don't. We're not going to... We're not going to brag on anything because we don't have anything to brag on but Jesus. That's all we have to brag on. But we, we can brag on him, amen? Take your Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 6 and following, 6 and following down through the end of the chapter. And uh, some of that, some of those verses we're not really going to hit heavy, just we're going to hit the high points. But let's go ahead and read that. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 6 and following. Paul said, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he, should, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the peace now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. This salutation of Paul by, with my own hand, which is the token of every epistle, in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you. I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this second epistle of Paul to the Thessalonian church. Lord, it's rich and it's given us so much truth. And Lord, we've gotten we've gotten blessings from it. And Lord, I pray this morning be no different. Lord, I pray that you'll use the message today to uh, Lord to guide us in the faith, guide us as to how we're to act as believers, our duties, our responsibilities. Lord, please help me now. I want to be a blessing. I don't want to get up and just take some things to be heard. I want to. I want to say exactly what you want me to say, and I want to say it the way you want it said, just the way you want it said, Father. I pray you take control of my lips. I pray you take control of my mind, my whole being, Father. I surrender myself into your hands, and I ask that the Holy Spirit of God might fill me with power. Cleanse me. Make me useful, a useful vessel for thee. Lord, I know you're able to do all things, and Lord, I trust you to, to work in our midst. Lord, not just in this room, but Lord, in the lives of all those who will tune into this, both today and in the coming days. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that it have its desired effect. Lord God, please steer us. Teach us to be uh, usable. Teach us to be workable. Teach us, Lord, to, uh, to, uh, to, to follow you faithfully. Help us now. Holy Spirit of God, take over the service now, and you guide and control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise God. It is good to be in church this morning. It's good to see every one of you, and it's good to have this many. It's, I tell you, everybody being sick here lately, it's, it's been kind of spotty, and we have some many back in the house of the Lord. I just rejoice and give God the glory for that. But I want to kind of just very briefly give an overview recap of, of this book because we, we kind of did that a little last week. But chapter one, chapter one, Paul is he's writing back to uh, to to uh, to encourage this church because the hate's been turned up on. Uh, again, just for those who, who, who haven't been here, you got to understand that, that this church is kind of in the middle of a, of a desert of heathen behavior, paganism. Uh, 
this is the first church in that area. Now, I know there's one down the road, but that's way down the road. These are not people bump into each other every day. They are just a group, kind of an island of believers by themselves in, in a group of nothing but, but people who believed in statues and, and rocks and different things, worshiping these idols. Uh, most all of their worship, well, all their worship is, is, is fleshly centered. Uh, all around them, they they are they might as well be aliens dropped off in the middle of, uh, of of that place because they're totally different from everybody around them. Uh, and the trouble came with it because they did not like the message of Jesus being preached, and they persecuted them for their faith. Then you had the Romans, and they had their own gods, and 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 they were they, they were the ones in control of society, and of course they wanted these people to to fall into line with what they thought and what they believed. And then you had the Greeks around them. They had their own set of gods, and they had their own set of beliefs. And so people, these people in the church became foreigners within their own country, foreigners within their own families, foreigners within their own uh, circles of friends. And so they, they, just like anybody would do, if, uh, people around them didn't like what, what was going on because it's Begin to persecute them, and the reason they begin to persecute them is because these are all pagans. They have no love of God in them. All they know is around us, we don't like it, so we don't put a stop to it. And so people lost jobs, people lost family, people lost spouses, people lost their lives. People were, were beaten, people were horribly abused and treated horribly. And in the middle of that, they're encouraged to keep living for Jesus. And uh, in, in the midst of these trials, that's what Paul's writing this letter back to do in the first chapter. He's encouraging them to be to be encouraged, realizing that Paul was being a believer. Listen, the devil, the devil don't go to sleep. The devil don't roll over his back, kick his legs up there, whack his tail like a just because you got saved. You're now his sworn enemy, and he's going to try to create difficulties in your life. And you need God's power working in your life to get past and beyond and over all those difficulties in life. Now, believe you me, uh, without the Lord Jesus, you still going to face difficulties. It's just at the end of your life, they're hell. Okay? With Jesus, listen, you've got the power of God at work in your life. You've got the love of God shed abroad in your life. You've got the peace of God in your life. You have way more than the circumstances. So don't let what I'm saying this morning uh, make anybody think for one second, hey, it'd be a lot easier if I didn't get saved. No, it wouldn't be a lot easier. It might be easier through this physical life, but when you get to the end of it, when there's nothing but hell ahead of you, you'll wish, you'll wish with everything in you, you suffer through some difficulties of life. But needless to say, the first chapter, that's what it's all about, is to keep on going, encouragement to keep going. Then the second chapter addresses uh, the, the idea because some people within the church, troublemakers, have gave them the idea that the Lord's already came, and so they're basically just sitting there wasting their time. And... And so Paul writes to them in the second chapter, reassuring them, no, that's not taking place yet, and don't believe what they told you. We told you what was going to take place, and he got them all lined out on that doctrine. But now we come to this last chapter, and we find out that some of them, some in this church, are just basically, well, we'll look at it. We'll just look at it and see. Um, Paul's given these—he's uh, given the, the readers of this epistle a clear and practical list of things that Christians ought to pay attention to as they're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of times in this epistle, 
we've seen that, that having an attitude and having an attitude of expectation, knowing that the Lord's coming back, this is to affect our daily lives. Okay? God didn't intend for us, after we learn the truth that Christ is coming back for us, to sit with starry eyes and folded hands and just look up at the heavens and, I'm waiting on you, Jesus. I'm just going to sit here and wait on you. God doesn't intend for us to just, everything's going to stop in our life and it's just sit down and wait on Jesus. Okay? That just not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God wants us to, to, to just keep getting up every day and facing the challenges of every day, recon, but recognizing every day that this could be the day. You need to realize that. Today could be the day that Jesus returns. Okay? But again, that shouldn't make us just stop down and stop doing everything in life. Somebody said, if you want to be the man of the hour, you got to make every minute count. See, we got to be busy. Uh, but we ought to make every minute of, of our life, of every day of our life, count for the Lord because of what he did for us. He should be, Christ should have first place. We talked about him, him having preeminence. That means he comes first in everything. Before, when we get up in the morning, he ought to be the first person we talk to. We ought to go to him before we ever roll over and say good morning. Before we walk to the breakfast table and say good morning, we ought to, we ought, we ought to say good morning to Jesus because he's there with us. Amen. He makes sure our eyes come open. He makes sure we have breath in our lungs, our hearts still beating. We ought to thank God for our blessings before we ever roll out of bed. We ought to make it our focus to do the things that the Lord would have us to do. And Paul directed his encouragement to this church at Thessalonica, who, uh, to those in this church at Thessalonica, he directs his attention and his encouragement to those who are walking disorderly. Look here in verse 6. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, what does that mean, walketh disorderly? <clears throat> well, the word walk is not just talking about putting one foot in front of the other, motoring down the sidewalk. That's not, it means... It's referring to your your daily life, the way you conduct yourself, the way you function in life. That would be a man's walk or the way they conduct themselves. And he says, walketh disorderly. So walketh disorderly would mean to conduct yourself in a manner opposite the way we taught you to Okay? <clears throat> Paul goes on and he describes what he's talking about, but I'll go ahead and tell you. The Lord's coming back. We've got to lift the finger. Since the Lord's coming back, no sense in going to work. Since the Lord's going back, I don't sense in planting a garden. Since the Lord's coming back, we just sit down and wait on it. That's the attitude that some of them in the church had. And he said, he he said that uh, he said, and not after the tradition which he received of us. But him saying him saying walking disorderly, it alludes to the fact that our lives should have order in them. You know, again, we're not just we're not just drifting through this thing called life. It's easy to tell me to go, whatever happens, happens. That's not the way a Christian ought to conduct your life. He said not he said and they were they were they were uh, he said they were living their lives not after the tradition which they received of us. Now that word tradition, again we we learned that a couple weeks ago. 
he's not talking about tradition like, you know, well, we 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 always have pizza on Sunday or we you know, that's a, that's our family tradition or you know, or or we, we only drive Fords in this house or whatever, you know. People have silly traditions. That would be a silly one in my opinion too. But anyway, no, the traditions he's talking about, he's talking about the doctrine. He's talking about what this Bible teaches. What this Bible teaches about salvation, what this Bible teaches about about sanctification, what this Bible teaches about regeneration, doctrine, what the Bible teaches us. And he said that the that these people they they they, they decide, you know what, we're gonna do things our own way. Some of these people in the early church, just like people in modern times, tendency to go off on a tangent, go off on some sort of new abnormal experience instead of being orderly and disciplined in their in their Christian lives. And the Bible doesn't really describe how they went astray, other than the fact that they, they obviously left the doctrine. And what did they what did Paul tell them to do? Paul said they were to withdraw. Withdraw themselves from from People that are like that, from brothers and sisters that were like that. These are these are people in the church that have made a profession of faith, but they have turned and walked away from the truth of what God has told them to do. They walked away from from the things that Paul had taught, and and they were and, and they said, "You need to get away from those. You need to stay away from them and keep them at distance, because order and reverence ought to characterize our Christian life, right?" Listen, you ought, to, you ought to have a pattern of God in life. It ought not be, you ought not jump back and forth from living a God in life to being back to sleep. You ought not, you ought not just jump back and forth. You ought to set a pattern. You ought, you ought to, uh, on purpose, live for God. <clears throat> and this was a command. And the Bible tells us there. And he commanded this. The Bible says that now we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, this was not a suggestion. This was a commandment from the Lord. And, you know, doing whatever you want to do, whatever feels good to you, whatever's right in your own eyes, it might fly with you, but it don't fly with God. Like I said this morning in Sunday school, what we talk about in Sunday school ties in here because, again, you may, you may be uh, hundreds of years in the future from where they were in Judges, but the same old sin crops up. People don't. People that drift from what God has said, and they and they drift from what That's why we have so many different kinds of so-called Christian churches all over this country. The, the Bible is not. God's not a schizophrenic. God, God didn't say. God didn't say a uh, hundred different things to a hundred different people. God said what He said in His Word to everybody. God doesn't change it from this person to the next. But because people want to do what they want to do and they want to do what feels good and what they think is good, they leave the doctrine and they go and do as they please. But that's not going to work with God. Why? Because we ought to be reverential toward God. We ought to be respectful to his word and we ought to follow his word. Paul said in verse 7, I want you to say, Paul said, listen, what I'm telling you, what I'm, what I'm telling you and speaking against what others are doing, listen, we set an example for you when we were there. Verse 7, he said, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. He said, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. We didn't act like that when we were there. And he was only there for three weeks ministering there among them. But that's not how they did things. 
He said there in verse 8, he said, neither do we eat any man's bread for naught. We didn't just uh, mooch off of everybody and just come in there and just try to take advantage of people and get all we could get out of them. No. He said, hey, we worked hard when we were there. And he did. He worked hard when he was in Thessalonica. Paul was a tent maker by trade. And and here he is. He, he's, he's ministering where he can during the day in homes and in the synagogue and, and, and trying to teach people the ways of God, trying to get He's doing that during the day, and I'm sure at night he's sitting with he's sitting with uh, Silas, and they're they're making tents. They're working making tents so they can sell them and earn their way, and not just be dependent on a brand new church who's struggling and having all kinds of personal problems everywhere. It's not like Paul was coming into town and there's this several million dollar church sitting there got all the resources in the world and just take care of them anyone they want. No, this is the bunch of people that just got saved five minutes ago. And their their life is in chaos now. So he's like, listen, I'm not going to charge. I'm not going to make y'all take care of me. I'm going to work and make my money and take care of myself. Now, I want you to know the key thought in this passage of scripture we're looking at this morning is work, toil, and labor. These words appear over and over in this in this passage, and they and they translate into. Into, into three different Greek words, and all those Greek words refer to work. In contrast, the word translated idle means disorderly. It means out of step. It means going one's own way. To be idle is to, is to go against the things that God has told you to do. In each chapter in Second Thessalonians, it deals with a different group who, who was troubling this church. In, in chapter 1, we, we, we dealt with the persecutors who were causing trouble in the church. In chapter 2, we dealt with the false teachers who were telling them uh, lies about Christ and his return. And now in chapter 3, we're, we're focusing on idle, undisciplined believers. There's trouble, there's trouble in any church, but Paul, Paul's not just sweeping it under the rug and ignoring it. No, he's dealing with it. He's going right to the source of the problem so that they're able to deal with these problems. And, and there were some people in this church who just had a flat-out lazy attitude. Uh, they said, you know, since Jesus is coming, there, there's no use in us getting a job. There's no use in us trying to work and make our own, uh, earn our own bread. So I'll just eat at somebody else's house. I'll eat at your house since you've got food. And, hey, if we run out of food, we'll just go to somebody else's house and, and eat. It sounds like socialism there. Mm-hmm. Since the Lord's coming, hey, we don't have to work. And once in a while, we, we find people. Y'all remember the name Harold Camping? It was several years ago. It was about, maybe five, six years ago, this guy in California. And uh, people like him who predicted when the Lord's coming back and, and claiming they know all that. You know, that guy spent, I read somewhere, he spent around $100 million advertising, claiming that the rapture was going to be on May the 21st, 2011. And then when it didn't happen then, he advertised that it was going to be on October 21st, 2011. And it didn't happen then either, of course, and, and he died. But you know, there's, there's been people like that. They, they, they get so caught up, and they, they, they know something that nobody else knows, and, and they got it all figured out. I, I just I made some note of a few people like that. Uh, in 1988, y'all remember the name Hal Lindsey? He wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, in that book, which he wrote in 1970, 
he predicted that the Lord would return by 1988 for sure. And, of course, we know that doesn't happen. Uh, Edgar C. Wisenhunt uh, published a book in, in uh, 1988. It was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. And when that didn't happen, he wrote a follow-up, he wrote a follow-up book entitled 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1989. I remember that one. I remember that one. I remember we, I was in my mom's driveway, and we were getting ready to leave for school or something. Maybe it was the next day. And I said, well, if I don't see you, I see you in the clouds. I remember saying that. I remember when that was taking place. But uh, but anyway, in, in, in two, no, it wouldn't. That would have been earlier than that. But anyway, 2008, uh, a man named Mark Blitz began teaching that Christ's return would correspond with the 28th uh, September 2015 lunar eclipse. His idea was known as the blood moon prophecy, and it attracted attention from from uh, y'all have heard of Pastor John Hagee, uh, and he, he he got on board with him claiming this. He stopped short of claiming that it was going to happen on that precise date, but come right up to the edge of proclaiming that. And uh, in the mainstream media, USA Today caught on to it and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> but I, I actually remember in my twenties there were some people, and I still know those people, uh, who were planning to sell everything that they owned. And and uh, and buy white clothes and go up on top of a mountain and wait for Jesus to come. And uh, and they they didn't do it, but they were close to it. They were going to sell everything that they had and do that. And you know, and again, I don't know if if the people in Thessalonica were going off on tangents like that, but it just goes to show you what people will do. Uh, again, they left the they left the, the doctrine that Paul had been teaching. And come up with their own ideas. But Paul, but Paul said, "Hey, that's not what I taught you. This is not what I taught you. This is not the traditions that I shared." While I was among you, he, he said, "You know, I, I didn't teach you that kind of stuff. And while I was there, I earned my own living. I provided for my own necessities, and I, I, I wasn't dependent on you. I paid my own way. I provided my own food. I did it to set an example." You should be providing for your own things. You shouldn't be living off of the expense of other people. That's the way Christians ought to conduct themselves. We ought to we ought to we ought to take care of ourselves. We ought not uh, depend on others. But you know, there are people in this world who who claim to be believers, and they and they they follow the philosophy that the world owes them a living. And that's not taught in the Bible. That's the social gospel. That's the idea that, that, that yeah, that somebody's supposed to somebody's supposed to take care of you. Listen, no. The attitude of the Bible is that the world doesn't owe the Christian anything. Not a thing. But we owe the world something. They don't owe us, but we owe them. We have something that we're we, we're to give to the world. Now, now let me say this. This doesn't mean that we're supposed to be opposed to to social programs that that help somebody in need, okay? I'm all for that. If, if we have it and we're able to help somebody in need, we ought to help somebody in need. We ought to take care of folks that, that are in need. But, but we're not to take the attitude that the world owes us a living because it sure doesn't. The world doesn't owe us anything. Um, God provides for his people, and it's a four-letter word called work. God would have his people to work. 
Paul laid down his principle in verse 10. I want you to look at it there. He said, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Let me read that again. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Let him starve, Paul's saying. If he don't want, if he don't want to help, if he don't want to pitch in, let him starve to death. Now, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if one cannot work. It says if one would not work. Some people some people can't work. Some people can't provide for their own needs. And, and if the church can, the church ought to meet those needs, if it's possible, and do it graciously. But, but those who will not work, God says, are not to eat. <clears throat> you know what? That's a pretty simple way of getting folks to get up and do something to get to work, isn't it? <laughs> if we're not going to feed you, we're not going to. If you're just going to sit around and be lazy and do nothing, we're not going to take care of you. You'll, you, eventually, your stomach will tell you it's time to go to work. Uh, if, if they didn't eat, they're going to have to do something. And Paul already dealt with this twice. He'd already dealt with these people in this church twice. In the, in the, in the book before it, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, he said this. He says, he's talking to them, and he says that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hand as we commanded you. Don't expect other people to give you handouts. He said, don't go, and evidently they're going around asking for handouts. He said, y'all need to keep your mouth shut, and you need to get to work to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself with your own hands. He said that we may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. Because he's 
too busy trying to take care of somebody else's business. He ain't doing nothing for his own self. I know, I know, Donnie. You know people like that. <laughs> you manage. <laughs> you you know there are people that rather stand around and talk than work. That happens. Anybody's run a crew of any of any uh, size. You know that people would rather stand around and work and jack, jack their jaws than they had than they had to do any kind of work. And uh, again, if that person there, that's the one who's going to cause the others to not get the job done. It's the person that's going to cause problems amongst the crew or whatever. And, and Paul's dealing with that. That's what he's got in the church. He's got people that just want to stand around and run their mouth instead of work to take care of their business. Warren Wiersbe, he said, they had time on their hands and gossip on their lips, and they defended themselves by saying, the Lord's coming. They say, we ain't got to do nothing. The Lord's coming. I don't worry about what I'm doing. Hey, the Lord's coming. That's not the answer for everything. Paul's message was strong. Paul's message was straightforward. He said, you get busy. You go earn an honest, honest living. You pay your own way. Go take care of yourself. And you won't have time then to be interfering with everybody else's business and stirring up trouble in the church of God. He also told them, he told them to work with quietness. Now, that's interesting. What does that mean, work with quietness? That means don't step back and make a big deal out of everything you do. Amen? Just work. Keep your mouth shut. Quit trying to get everybody to look at you. Just just do your work. Just quietly do the right thing. Quietly make a living. Quietly feed your family. And don't sponge off everybody else all the time. Don't sponge off the charity of others. Again, don't expect somebody else to come and take care of you and feed you. Get up and get busy. The point is this. You remember they were all freaked out and all up in arms because they thought they missed the rapture. They were all they were having troubles all around them because of because of uh, the, the pressure from the outside and all of these things. You can make a bigger deal out of them than they really are. You can let troubles in to take your life. You can get to the point where you just give up, throw up your hands, sit down, and do nothing. That ain't gonna do a thing for the rest of your life. And Paul is trying to steer them away from, from letting the devil say, you got all these things going on. Don't, don't, you don't need to get up and work. You just need to sit around and wring your hands and be all nervous stomach and, and, and worried and, 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 and causing you to get into things you shouldn't get into. <clears throat> no. Paul said, listen, just get up and go to work tomorrow. Just get up and go to work. Let me tell you something. God well, I think I've got it here in my notes. I'll just, I'll just wait. I'll be patient. Second Thessalonians 13, he said, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. In other words, don't let all these troubles, don't let all these things going on keep you from getting up and going to work and being the kind of person you ought to be and being a testimony to what the Lord has done in your life. He had some encouragement there for those who had been doing right because it wasn't the whole church. It's just some of them in the church. Some of them in the church were doing right, so he's encouraging them, and he's saying to them, stay with it. Stay with it. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't quit now. Why is he telling you that? Because sometimes we get tired. I'm not going to stand up here and act like sometimes we don't get tired. And other times, there are times when we get, not only get tired, but we feel like we're the only ones fighting. 
We're the only ones doing anything. I remember a fellow in the Bible got like that. His name was Elijah. He had the big battle with the, the servants of Baal on that parable. You remember that? And, and, and Jezebel was going to kill him. He run off dead from her. Turned around moping. And he wound up hiding in a cave. And, and, and he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. Somebody won't trust him with his will, won't trust him with his word. What do we do then? 
Paul said, verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. That means, hey, take note that that guy is, is that, that guy or that girl, they're not doing things They're not listening to what God's word has said. We're to pay attention. We're not to live in la-la land where we don't notice what's going on around us and how and how, how other people are living. We're not to be ignorant of that. No, he said we're to, we're to be aware of that. And some people say, well, you shouldn't judge others. How do you make a judgment whether or not you need to be in the realm of their influence if you don't use the word of God as your judgment? If you see somebody blatantly and, 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 and adamantly ignoring what God has said, you might not want to run around with them. Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to influence you in that direction. So God says, make note of that person and have no company with it's a word called sin. So what am I doing? Am I to be mean to them? No, you just avoid them. If you ain't got time to spend with them, don't go to their house, don't, don't go places with them, don't go eat with them. you got other things to do. You're not mean to them. No, because he goes on to say, can't admonish an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. We're not talking about somebody who doesn't know Jesus.
that that you if, if a moment's notice you needed to, you could hit your knees and get in touch with heaven like that. Listen, when when you know you have the assurance in your heart that your sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ and you have a home in heaven waiting on you, that kind of peace, that's what we're talking about. The Lord of peace himself, not a representative, but the Lord of peace himself give you peace. He's not, again, he's not sending his angels to give you peace. God himself, the Lord himself, give you peace always. It's a continuous thing. God doesn't give it and take it away, give it and take it away. He's not playing a game with you. God wants you to always have his peace. Always. Look at it. Always by all means. That means God wants you to always, when you wake up in the morning, he wants you to have his peace in your heart. If you go through your day, he wants you to have his peace in your heart. If you run into trials and tribulations and difficulties in life, in the middle of all that, in the middle of the storm, when it's all blowing against you and about to blow you backwards, God wants you to have his peace in the midst of that. Does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not have his peace in the midst of the fire of fire? Did Daniel not have his peace in that den of violence? Did, did the children of Israel not have his peace? With water rolling up on both sides, been walking on dry ground with the Red Sea? Same God. Same God. He's able to give you peace always, by all means. Paul said, the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. God wants you, my friend, to have his peace always. And, I, and I'm going to tell you this morning, if your mind is on this world and the troubles of this world, you're likely to not have peace. Because this world is chaos right now. This world, I, I, I tell you, I've never seen the world be so chaotic in all my 54 years. I've never seen a time where where the things that are, that are happening in America have happened before. Uh, chaos. And most of it is created, it's controlled. But but it's still chaos. There's chaos in our in our food production facilities, there's chaos in our rail system right now, there's chaos uh, in our in our medical community, there's chaos everywhere. There's chaos in the in the military community. There's chaos in in the in all forms of government. There's chaos everywhere. And it don't look like an end coming anytime soon. It just looks like it's going to increase. But in the middle of all that, God says, I want you to have peace. I want you to have it always. And I want you to have it in all things. How can that happen? Well, that can happen because I realize that my peace it comes from God. It doesn't come from this world. So in spite of all of what's coming on the outside, my peace doesn't come from the outside. My peace comes from knowing that my sins are washed away from knowing that my my eternal destiny is settled, from knowing that God has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, I have peace. And I'm going to ask you this morning, do you have that peace? Is that peace, living, is it living in you? Is it thriving in you? If it's, if it's not, it may be that something has come between you and the Lord. Something may be standing between you and the Lord from that from that resolution of, uh, of, of you having peace in your life, it's not there because there's something in the way and it needs to be repented of and it needs to be confessed and forsaken so that you can 
maybe you've never come to Christ and never and never asked Him to be your Savior. You've never asked Him to wash your sins away. And if that's the case, no, you won't have peace until you're forgiven. But I'm telling you this morning, if you'll come to Him, if you'll come and buy this altar, and you'll ask God, Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you died for my sins. I know that you that you were uh, bled and you, and you died, you were buried, and you rose from the grave. I believe it with all my heart. I believe you did that for me, and I'm trusting you to be my Savior. He will wash your sins away and forgive you today. And it's done, and there's peace, 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 overflowing. Come to him today. I urge you. And I'm going to tell you, believers, if, if you ain't got peace in your heart, I urge you to come to God and get it because he'll give it. All you got to do is come and get that roadblock out of the way. Let's stand together. Let's ask God to bless us and, and, and bless this invitation. Uh, we're going to sing 157. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you this morning for this message you've given. And, Lord God, I pray for each one in the sound of my voice. Lord God, that they'll come and do business with you. Father, I pray, Lord, for those who are lost, that they've come to be saved. Lord, those who are backslidden, they've come to, to be restored. Father God, you know, whatever the need might be this morning, Lord, I pray that you meet that need abundantly. this morning, and I want you to come back tonight, amen, I got a, I got one for you tonight, I'm going to preach tonight on letting God change your mind, letting God change your mind, come back tonight and get some truth, it'll help you, be a blessing to you, is there any word from anybody before we dismiss this morning, next Sunday is fellowship meal, this is the shortest month of the year, so well, we turned around twice. It's time to eat again. Ain't nothing wrong with that, though. I'll take that all time. But uh, next Sunday we won't have an evening service, but we'll have a we'll have a morning service, a Sunday school morning service, and then we're gonna have a fellowship. And the uh, on the menu is is Mexican food. So whatever that means to you, I guess Mexican food. So we'll we'll try to have us a good fiesta next Sunday. All right. Sure glad to have everybody here. Sure, good to see every one of you. Glad to have visitors, and, and uh, hope you'll be back with us again. All right, anything else before we go? All right, be sure to pray for the ones that weren't here today. Uh, got some sick, got some out for other reasons. Just pray for them, God. Will, 
meet the need. Y'all be sure and lift up uh, Diane that she's going to have that procedure done. All right, so let's let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask God to bless us and take care of us through this week. And hope you're here back tonight. All right, Richard. This is-